It is a joy to be with you today. If you don't know me, my name is Gunnar Inge Gunnarsson. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Lost of Baptist Kirke, and we're going to be diving into the Word of God today. But before we do that, I got a few announcements, like usual. Number one, uh, if you would, feel free to share this video. One of the privileges you have as a pastor is to see a lot of the stuff happening behind the scenes, and I sometimes forget that our members and those who attend our church don't necessarily see everything that I see. And so one of the things that has blown my mind over this whole COVID-19 crisis has been the fact that there have been um, a, a sort of a peak in people messaging the church, emailing the church, getting in touch with me who didn't know about our church before because of our members sharing videos online and them being introduced to the church. Uh, so some of them are non-Christians who have a lot of questions uh, and some of them are Christians who are have been looking for a church for a while and then have seen one of you share this video or something like that, somehow been in touch with our church through this COVID-19 crisis and is very much looking forward to the day. I've talked with a few people who's, who are very much looking forward to the day when we restart our services and they get to see every one of us in person. Um, so thank you guys for being faithful in this. This is one of the ways that we could spread the news and social isolation. So uh, God be with you guys there. Uh, please share this video or you can start a watch party on Facebook um, or also you can, uh, you can uh, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're wanting to stay tuned on services and when we go live and so on and so forth, you can actually go to our Facebook page, Love Someone Baptist Gitka, and, and put in that you want to follow this page. That way you get notifications when we do go live so that you don't miss a service. Anyways, outside of that, I just want to say, uh, and also, maybe before we move on, uh, those who share this video, like I've, I've been also kind of blown away that we've got brothers and sisters elsewhere in the world who are watching with us. And so if you, if you want to, feel free to comment on this video, where you're watching from, uh, how we can be praying for you, and, um, and how you got in touch with us. And if you're here in Iceland and you're watching this video, post some selfies or something like that of, you, of, of the family watching together. It would be awesome to see. Feel free to comment on these videos. I hope it's not too distracting. Anyways, the next announcement I want to jump into is the giving. And again, I want to thank you, just like with the sharing, uh, you guys have actually reached people that we didn't reach before. And with the giving, you guys have been so amazingly uh, faithful in giving. That was one of the concerns as we have a lot of the giving happens here with our bulletproof bucket in the back that we pass around. Um, and I, I was kind of waiting to see what would happen with that. You guys have been so faithful in giving. If you are wanting to give, go to, there's the bank info at the bottom of the screen, the Kenetala of the church. You can wire here in Iceland. If you're elsewhere in the world, I guess you could go to the icelandproject.org. That would be the only way for you to give. So I'm going to leave that information up there for a little while. We've got prayer meetings on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Uh, so if you want to join that message, the church, or if you're a part of the Love Someone Fellowship Facebook chat group, then you will get notifications Wednesdays about that. If you have any prayer requests that we can be praying for you, um, 
today or the coming week, or you've got a praise that you just want to praise God for his favor and answering your prayers, then feel free to either comment on this video or, or uh, throw a comment into the Love Stephen Fellowship page, and we will pray with you after the sermon is over. Uh, Elliot is going to, he's taking a break from his uh, uh, holiday on his honeymoon to gather up all the, the prayer requests that we get in so that we can prayer, uh, pray together after the sermon is over. And then probably one of the most exciting announcements is we're, we are returning to having services in person May 31st. That is the last day of May, uh, the last Sunday of May. You can actually come here and gather with, with us. We can sing together. We can worship together. Uh, man, it's going to be awesome seeing one another in person. From what I understood from the government and what it's been saying is that as they release, you know, bigger and bigger crowds get to come together, the two-meter rule is still going to be in place. So we will ask anyone to try as best as they can to keep the two-meter rule if they possibly can. The government has said, obviously, with bigger and bigger crowds, it's going to be, you know, more difficult to keep it, you know, fully. And so uh, we're going to try to offer some seating for those who are with underlying diseases or are not comfortable hugging someone or something like that as of yet and want to sit two meters away from other people. We're going to try to provide that for you. So that's available here May 31st. Um, and one of the things that I've been keeping an eye on is, and also, we are going to have live services continue. So if you are someone, you're just not ready to meet again in person, this is going to be still happening. Obviously, it's going to be a little bit of a different format. There's going to be worship, and I'll probably be standing out there, not right in front of the camera. So if you're sick, if you're feeling any symptoms, please stay at home um, and watch live with us. But for the rest of us, man, I am so excited to meet you guys in person. I'm so excited to sing with you, worship with you, pray with you. Ah, it's going to be amazing. So um, that was one of the things that I was keeping an eye out during this COVID thing. Would people get so used to just being online that they would want to uh, just not meeting person again. And thankfully, like me, most of you have responded to this with not uh, a sort of like, a, I'm just going to stay online, but rather a thirst for fellowship and community again and gathering together to worship. And so it's been awesome to be in touch with you guys and hear that. And then there's a membership class on June 7th. If you want to know more about our church, what we believe, what it means to be a member, there's a class that takes about three hours. Uh, so it's it's a class where we go over what we believe, where we're heading as a church, what it means to be a member, and it gives you the opportunity to ask a lot of questions. Uh, going to membership class does not automatically make you a member. So if you're scared about that, you want to know more about a church, but you're not sure you want to become a member yet, then feel free to attend anyways. Uh, it's going to be at 3.30 p.m. on Sunday, June 7th. So there, that's, there's that. And if you want to attend a membership class, feel free to message uh, Love Someone Baptist Akitka on Facebook and tell us that so we can be in touch with you. All right, now let's pray as we go into this sermon. We're going to be continuing our sermon series called We Are Witnesses, going through the book of Acts. We're going to be dwelling in chapter 2, and we're going to be covering a big chunk of verses. So let's pray as we jump into this. Our Father, I pray 
that you shower us with grace, that you open up our hearts to be corrected if we need to be corrected, that we would be open to your word working in us, working through us. Holy Spirit, equip us for the work of the ministry that each and every one of us has. May we not just settle for knowing what our calling is, but striving to be faithful so that on the day when we meet you face to face, we might hear those beautiful words come into the celebration of your master, your good and faithful servant. So God, as we dwell on your word today, may we be convicted where we need to be convicted. May we be edified, may we be encouraged, may we seek to glorify you and to always remember that we are under your authority. As soon as we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, that's just not a nice word, word. That is a reality. So God, may we behave like it. May we give ourselves under the authority of scripture, your word breathed out to us to equip us for the task at hand. So equip us now today, glorify yourself. And as we worship you through the study of your word, as we see you in all of your glory, may we not just walk away from the phone we're watching on or the TV we're watching on as people who haven't been impacted at all, but rather may we walk out of here new people because you have ministered to us, you have equipped us. God, for every single member of our church, for every single person who's confessed Jesus Christ as Lord here in Iceland, I pray that you equip us for the ministry that we have, that we realize that you've given us, each and every one of us, gifts to be used to glorify the name of Jesus and help us live in that. Help us be witnesses of Jesus Christ and his power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be jumping into the book of Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 41. I'm going to give you some time to flip the pages to there or open your app and go to that place. Like I said before, if you're just tuning in, my name is Gunnar Gunnarsson. I'm one of the pastors here. I don't know what's happening with the focus on this thing. Let's see if I can catch you the focus. Uh, this camera is, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, my name is Gunnar Gunnarsson. I'm one of the pastors here at Lostovan. Now today, we continue to work our way through the book of Acts, and today's sermon is a rather strange sermon, and you may say, well, Gunnar, that's true almost every time that you preach. The reason for the strangeness of this sermon is that last week we talked about the arrival of the Holy Spirit. It came with supernatural signs and wonders, and thousands of people were gathered around to see what was happening. There was a sound like rushing wind when the Holy Spirit came. All of a sudden, the 120 people in the upper room started speaking in tongues, meaning in languages they didn't even know. Uh, they hadn't learned. They were speaking foreign tongues about the mighty works of God. And now Peter, the one who was previously driven by fear, uh, has been changed, fearful before when he was at the trial of Jesus and a servant girl that was a pretty low social status and, and most people would probably not think of her as a threat. She asked him, are you not one of the people, the Galileans who were with Jesus? Are you not one of his disciples? And he denied Jesus out of fear for that girl. But now he was totally different. He was totally changed. With the Holy Spirit came godly boldness and clarity, um, came a reminder to, to not fear people, but rather 
fear God because people ultimately, yeah, they can, they can hurt you physically, emotionally, but ultimately God is the guardian of our souls. He is the one who tells us of us our, our eternal destiny of heaven or hell, our eternal life, where we spend eternity is under God's control. Um, so Peter, Peter the fearful, He's transformed by the arrival of the Holy Spirit to become Peter the fearless. And he delivers a spirit-filled sermon, which we dive into today. So the reason why this sermon is a rather weird sermon is because this sermon is about a sermon uh, that Peter delivers. Uh, But this is the word of God. It edifies us. It teaches us. It informs us. It equips us. And so I want us to read this sermon of Peter and and jump into it. So let's read Acts 2, 14 to 41. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk. You remember they stopped and mocked them for speaking in tongues, saying that they're drunk in the the morning. As you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of your life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." 
being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So, this, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls." So that is the text that we're dealing with today. Obviously, it's a long text, so we're not going to go into a lot of nitty-gritty details here. But first of all, we must stop for a moment to think about the transforming power of the Holy Spirit seen in the Apostle Peter. He was met with scoffing and jokes about being drunk when the Holy Spirit came. Remember, this is the same Peter who denied Jesus when confronted by that servant girl. Um, and now he's standing in front of a group of people in the thousands, at least 3,000 people were there who were not only there to yell out amen and encourage him while he was speaking, they were mocking him for his speech, for what he was saying, for how they were acting, for what they said the Holy Spirit was doing. Um, now, what had happened to Peter? 50 days prior, he's denying Jesus at his trial. And all of a sudden, you have 50 days removed, him completely different. There are two areas where he has seen something happen. Number one, he has seen Jesus Christ, who was murdered before his eyes, alive again. And that's filled him with the, 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 the belief in the power of God to do amazing work. And number two, he has been filled with the Holy Spirit. The transformation in one month, in, less, in, in one man, in less than two months, is amazing to see. And, uh, you know, I think about the sentence that we believe a lot today, oh, no one really changes. There's this sort of skepticism about the nature of people and that if you're a bad person, you're just going to be a bad person. If you're a coward, just you're just going to be a coward. You know, if you're a liar, you're just going to be a liar. But the Bible says something different. You see the skepticism of humanity in the modern age, which is interesting because it kind of reflects the, you know, viewing people as naturally sinful. Uh, but here, when, when the Holy Spirit is at play, this man is completely different. He is all of a sudden standing, standing up, um, and what used to get him in trouble, his sort of spontaneous nature of 
maybe saying the wrong thing or saying the right thing at the wrong time that usually got him into trouble with Jesus, um, all of a sudden is being used in a God-glorifying manner. He stands up in front of thousands of people with an unprepared sermon, this spontaneous guy to a crowd that's mocking him, and he preaches a sermon. Yet, he preaches a spirit-filled sermon, and I want us to go over the text and basically drive out, sort of jot down, what are the, characteristic of, the characteristics of a spirit-filled sermon? I like the title spirit-filled because it's thrown out a lot in, in Christian circles, but what exactly does spirit-filled mean? And if you ask a lot of people to answer that question, for instance, what is a spirit-filled sermon? I think a lot of us would get sort of vague answers back. Uh, that it would be sort of, well, spirit-filled sermon is basically someone who's really passionate about what he's talking about or maybe yelling a lot. That would probably be, even though they might not say it that way, that would, that would probably be what a lot of people have in their mind as to what a spirit-filled sermon is, uh, that it's just some guy yelling into the microphone, right? But here in our text, noticed, notice this, that we don't really see how Peter spoke. And you may, you may draw from how I read the text as to how Peter spoke, but I'm, I'm reading the text as I see it and as I would say it, uh, but we don't know how Peter spoke or how he used his, uh, his language or his voice, how passionate he was. We only have in our text today what he spoke about. There's no mention of tone, only the substance. And right from the start, we see the substance. He goes into scripture, which at this time didn't include the New Testament. He had no New Testament to reference. He's going and diving into the Old Testament and explaining to the people how it points to Jesus. But here's the thing. When, when people hear the word spirit-filled sermon, I think for a lot of people who think of spirit-filled sermon, if they think it has a lot of scripture in it, then they might think it's not really as spiritual as being more spontaneous and more on the spot of just someone speaking out what's coming to them. But here we have the Holy Spirit at work. He has just ascended upon the disciples and he is inspiring Peter to speak and not only to speak, uh, but to speak the word of God that the Holy Spirit had inspired other people to write. And so when you actually think about it, I think there are very few things that are as spiritual as Peter here, diving into the substance, which is the word of God, and showing how it points to Christ. And first, Peter does this. He goes into uh, the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 and 32, and he quotes that to them. And here we see yet another characteristic of a spirit-filled sermon. He shows how the text that was written a long time ago applies to the crowd that he's preaching to at that time. He's speaking about the prophecy of Joel, about the arrival of the Holy Spirit upon his people, and explaining how all of this is connected with Jesus, and what they are witnessing right in front of their eyes is actually a fulfillment of Joel. I've noticed a lot of people use these same words that Peter used in Joel to, to almost talk about it as a future kind of prophecy. But there, 
Peter is like, no, this is happening. This is being fulfilled right in front of your eyes. And what is the, the, the interesting thing about Joel is that, you know, he, he's highlighting the fact that male servants and female servants are going to get the spirit of God. It's not going to be necessarily about what position you serve or how, how, how socially acceptable or how praised you are by the people. The promise of Joel is that everyone is going to get this and that, you know, a random no-name girl that no one thinks of as impressive is going to get the Spirit of God, and they're going to prophesy, and they're going to see visions, and they're going to dream dreams, and all this type of stuff. That is the promise that he's highlighting. He's, he's basically highlighting the fact that they're all fishermen. I mean, they're not, they're not Sadducees. They're not people who have impressive educations or background. They're not praised by the people. They're looked down upon. And here it is, the promise of God being fulfilled of using someone like Peter to preach in front of crowds of thousands, including crowds of Pharisees who were these religious leaders of the day that people viewed highly and saying, no, Joel has promised this and he's showing how this connects to them. And he effectively shuts up the mockers by saying, hey, if you want to mock us, you want to take, you know, if you, if you want to mock what God is doing in us, take your case to God. This is, this is what he's promised that's going to happen, right? He's promised in Joel that the Holy Spirit would come. That's happening right now. If you want to mock this, go ahead and mock God himself. It kind of shuts them up. Now, before we move any further, we've got to realize that number one, according to verse 40, this is a shortened version of Peter's sermon, and you all may have gotten excited when you were thinking, oh, Gunnar is going to look at the characteristics of a spirit-filled sermon. Maybe he should uh, take note that it's a rather short sermon. <laughs> so, uh, if, In verse 40, we see that it's a shortened version of the sermon. And number two, this is not a prepared speech for Peter. He didn't take a few days leading up to this Sunday to uh, write down a sermon outline to... he he spontaneously stands up and preaches. Which I'm not saying makes the case that every sermon should be done that way, but rather to me is a reminder. And this is not just a sermon. This is any time that we stand up and we talk about Jesus. Anytime you get into a conversation about Jesus. Really, the preparation for that talk and for the questions that come and you attempt to answer them the preparation for that conversation, a preparation of a speech talking about Jesus or a preacher preaching about Jesus takes way, way longer than just the week leading up to that point. Our whole lives are preparing us to speak uh, to people about Jesus. When you are preparing, when I'm preparing a sermon, I'm taking lessons that I learned 15 years ago. I'm taking a feeling that I experienced when I was 10 years old and, you know, lost this or that and applying this to the text and seeing how that applies to my, my position and, and how that may apply to the people around you. So when you are wondering, uh, you know, like, how can I be equipped for answering questions? How can I be equipped to sharing Jesus with other people? Realize this, that just like Peter wasn't prepared for the sermon in a traditional sense, he hadn't written out a manuscript to read from, God had been preparing him his whole life for this. 
Like even the fact that he can stand up there and quote uh, three chunks of verses that he knew by heart. Who knew that when Peter was memorizing that scripture in Joel that one day he would stand in front of thousands of people and preach and go exactly to this scripture in the promise of God. God was preparing him for this day long before he knew he was supposed to preach. And that applies to you if you're sharing the gospel with some of your friends or something like that. Realize that God's at work in you right now. A good sermon does not take eight or nine or ten hours to write out. It actually takes a lifetime because you're drawing from a deep well. Now this sermon had been in the making his entire life. And as you think you know, through a text, you may remember how it served you as an anchor in hardship, how you yourself wrestled with questions surrounding that text and so forth. But then we see yet another characteristic of a spirit-filled sermon. It informs, it explains, and it corrects. Those three words don't really, I think, for the, you know, the, the person who throws out spirit uh, or spiritual sermon or spirit-filled sermon, I don't think uh, the words inform, explains, or corrects are necessarily the, the words that would pop up. But here we see Peter is being... Um, being equipped to preach this sermon. And you see Peter explaining to them what they already know about Jesus when he was among them. About the supernatural work that he did, what they did to him, how he conquered the grave. And he's informing them that they may have thought that they were in charge this whole time, that yes, because they had some kind of social authority or political authority, that somehow they were in charge of this entire plan the whole time. But Peter is highlighting to them that actually this was all a part of God's plan. Yes, you did an evil thing with evil men and you murdered the man that God sent, but ultimately all of this was according to God's plan for Jesus to die for our sins, for Jesus to make a way for hopeless sinners to approach a holy God. And so Peter is informing them in that way. He highlights how God turned the tomb of Jesus into a womb that would give life to people that would come after him and even himself rise up out of there. Now, yet again, he goes into scripture to explain to them why this happened and how the story of Jesus had long ago been told to them through prophecy. Not only does he explain to them that Jesus would do what he would do in life, but even in death, so he takes Psalm 16 of this promise given to the Holy One that would not decay in the grave. And he says, hey, this has been in your scriptures all along. So he's explaining to them and he's correcting them. He's correcting them for thinking they were in charge, for thinking that ultimately they had all the authority. And he's kind of doing what, he, what we see in the story of Joseph when he's sold into slavery in Egypt and he rises to the top and God uses that to save the nation of Israel during the famine when he says, you planned it for evil, but God turned it around for good. So he's informing them, he's explaining to them, he is correcting them. But here's the thing. I think a lot of people will say yes and amen to an informative sermon, 
and yes and amen to a, a sermon that explains. But I think that's lacking a, a lot, not just here in Iceland or in any specific country, but all around the world is our willingness to be corrected by sermons, to be convicted by sermons. And actually, a lot of churches, I think, have noticed this trend that people tend to just want sermons that, that make them feel comfortable or make them feel nice. But what we'll find later on is that sometimes the loving thing to do is the harder thing to hear. So I want to ask us these questions. Are, are we seeking to be corrected by the word of God? When we read scripture, are we willing to have our minds changed, our ideas corrected or challenged? Or do we seek to change God in light of who we want him to be? And then here, in our second to last characteristic of a spirit-filled sermon, we have this. It cuts and it treats. Like, there's this amazing song that we sing that everyone knows, Amazing Grace. There was one line in that song, or actually two lines in that song, that always posed a question to me before I became a believer, where it says, it was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Before I actually knew what the good news of Jesus was, I remember stumbling over those you know, two lines in that amazing song, Amazing Grace. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. But ultimately, in Peter's sermon here in Acts chapter 2, we see both of these characteristics. He cuts with his sermon and he treats with his sermon. Peter loves the people that he's preaching to enough that he doesn't shy away from their sin and he loves them enough to not only point out their sin but also point out a savior. Like, wouldn't you feel a bit strange if all of a sudden you were walking down downtown and a random doctor would come out of nowhere and start offering you a surgery? Like, hey, can I invite you to, to have a surgery? And you have no idea why he's doing that. You would be thinking questions like, why would this random guy that I don't know want to cut me open? What is wrong with this guy, right? But a lot of Christians, we do something similar to that. We try to tell people all about Jesus and how awesome they are as a person, but yeah, you need Jesus too, while, while avoiding the topic of why they need Jesus. See, if the, if the doctor would first introduce the problem, he would introduce the problem by saying you have a life-threatening disease that is going to kill you in three weeks, but it can be treated and fixed completely with a short and risk-free surgery. Would you like the surgery? If that was how a doctor approached the issue by first presenting you with the problem and then offering you the solution, instead of just running after you in the street trying to offer you the solution without presenting to you the problem to begin with, then you would have a very different opinion about that guy. 
But unfortunately, a lot of Christians, we shy away from talking about sin today and how we failed and how we need grace and yet we try to offer solutions to seemingly non-existent problems and that's not going to serve anyone and it's not the loving thing to do to shy away from these things. Like for instance, in the first scripture that Peter quotes, it's Joel chapter 2, and I love this. I love this so much because it's just an amazing verse. The last verse there in Joel, he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is all-encompassing. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that makes it so amazing for me because I know how messed up I was. And now that I've come to faith and I've seen God for who he is, I know how amazing he is and how far away I was from him. Yet he says stuff like this, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter if you have unanswered questions, if you have a bleak or shameful past. It doesn't matter if you're socially accepted or financially successful. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved is the promise of God. That is you. That is me. That is all-encompassing. It doesn't say whoever is good enough or worthy enough, whoever is impressive enough or works hard enough shall be saved. No, it just says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls out to God, save me. They will be saved. Remember, you know, the lines of the song that we sing so often, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. Peter he was not concerned about the comfort of the audience over telling them the truth. He points to them and says, you crucified this man that God sent. And I bet that was an uncomfortable pause in that message of Peter there as people were looking at the finger of Peter pointing to them saying, you crucified this man. And maybe some people were thinking, man, what a harsh naysayer we've got here. But when we think, you know, when we think we're being considerate or loving by holding back truth, a lot of times we're being the opposite of that because love sometimes means doing or saying the uncomfortable thing. And that's what Peter is doing here today. He's loving the people in front of them enough to point out that they are indeed messed up, that they are indeed sinful, that they murdered God in flesh. But he's doing that not to be a naysayer, not to kill their hope or joy. He's cutting, but he's also treating by pointing them to Jesus. because we don't want to just be the people who offer you the problem and no solution. Right? And I do feel like it's not as popular today, but I do feel like there are churches out there that err on this side of the issue. Most churches, I would say, err on the side of the, you know, basically I'm not going to mention sin. I'm not going to mention that you actually need a savior. I'm just going to offer you a savior. But then you have a minority of churches that actually, they go off the opposite end of the rails, they just offer you the problem and never offer you the solution. They just hammer away at how 
horrible you are, how despicable you are, how messed up you are. And it's almost like they just love being beat down into the dirt and never talk about the solution. But the fact is we've been washed by the blood of the lamb. Yes, like in 1 Corinthians 6, when he talks about, he lists all these sins. And, and then in, in, in verse 10 in, in 1 Corinthians 6, he stops and says, this was true of you, but now you've been washed. You've been made new in Jesus Christ. So we see the balance here of Peter, of not only just cutting to the heart, but also treating the wound by pointing to a Savior. And he points to scripture yet again, that scripture is about Jesus. That he was indeed human and he died for us and he defeated death. He became like a sinner so that we, the sinners, could be clothed in the righteousness of God. And in Psalm 110, which is one of the Psalms that he quotes here in his sermon, he's also underlining the fact that he doesn't just, that Jesus wasn't just another man. He was indeed God himself. God decided that it was worth laying down his life. Even though he was fully righteous, he wanted to die for us. Now what a challenge that leaves for you and me. When we look around our churches and there's, you know, there's the popular thing of wanting to uh, bass on the modern church and talk about it, how it's full of hypocrites and all this type of stuff. But the reality is we're all a part of that problem that we're all sinners in need of grace, we're all sinners in need of a savior. And yet, we see that even for this group of hypocrites, even for these imperfect people that we see around us, Jesus, God in flesh, died for them. What a challenge that leaves us to die for one another, to serve one another, to love one another. Are we ready to sacrifice for our family and friends to not seek what we deserve but seek to serve like Jesus? Are we ready to sacrifice for our family and friends to not, to not just seek to put us on the pedestal or put us on the pyramid scheme? Going beyond that, as we look at the life of Jesus, we realize that he didn't just die for, um, for his friends and his family. He, you know, he died for his enemies to make us his children. Man, those words of Joel, they echo in the back of my mind like whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That amazes me. It amazes me that he knows everything about us. He knows how we slept today. He knows what we thought yesterday. He knows our weight. He knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows that we are, you know, what we're proud of and what we're ashamed of. He knows not only of all of the ways that I remember failing, he knows of literally every single way that I've failed in my entire life, exhaustively, how I've sinned. He knows every evil and selfish thought that I've ever had and you've ever had. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the worst thing about us 
And yet he loves us the most. And he still gives us words of hope like he does in Joel. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just call out to me and I will come. Just come with your empty hands and cling to the cross of Jesus and I will save you. But the last characteristic of the sermon is the thing that I want to highlight for us today and the the topic of our message, which has been um, truth that demands a response. As you get to the end of the sermon of Peter and you get to the response of the people, you basically see that there's not really a way of not responding. Either we respond to the truth of God being proclaimed in the positive or in the negative. There is no way of being neutral after hearing the truth of God preached. It's either going to be the response of the people like you see in the text, what shall we do? Or it's going to be, I'll do what I want to do. I'll continue to live life as, I, as if I'm my own God, my own ruler. But we read in scripture again and again that faith demands action. Faith is dead without works. That when we have faith, it should produce within us something that's actually happening. Right? If I, if I walked outside here after this service today and someone would come up to me and say, hey, crazy story. I was walking here today and I got hit by a semi-truck going 100 kilometers per hour, but then I just stood up and, I'm, and I walked here today. I would look at that person thinking they are, the, they are insane. There's no way that they got hit by a semi-truck going 100 kilometers per hour, just stand up again and walk continuously. They would be flattened out like a cake on the street. There's no way they would have survived something like that. But yet again, we, we see this again and again. We see people who claim that, yes, I've had an encounter with the holy God and creator of the universe itself, but it had very little impact on how I actually lived my life. That's just not biblical faith. And that's what Peter is underlining. Like, that's what we see here in the text. When they hear the words of Peter cutting them to their hearts and then treating their wounds by pointing to Jesus, they ask, what should we do? Because faith demands action, that we do something about it. When the truth of God hits us, the truth of our sinfulness and God's holiness, and you need to be saved, the only correct response is to being cut to the heart and, resp- and asking, what shall we do? And the answer is always going to be the same. Repent, turn to Jesus Christ, be baptized. It's been said, you know, that in normal seasons of church history, that it's usually the evangelist that's out in the streets trying to seek the sinners. But then, you know, you've gotten these glimpses into times of revival or awakenings happening at different spots in the world, and it seems that that formula is kind of totally transformed in such a way that now it's actually the sinners trying to seek out the evangelist. And, you know, if, as a Christian, as you read these words, I mean, how amazing it is 
3,000 people responded positively to give Jesus Christ their life of, under one sermon. When I think about that, I, I as a Christian want to say, I want to pray for this to happen more often here in Iceland, around the world. But there is a responsibility on us to respond to God's speaking. Like, for instance, the words of Jesus of deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me is a call to action. And so Peter does the same thing. He says, number one, repent. A call to be changed in your thinking and turning from your old ways to turn to Jesus. Think about this word, repent. Like a, a lot of us, we have negative connotations that are attached to this word, repent, right? But you, th you look throughout scripture. John the Baptist, what did he preach? Well, you go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. He's preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. If you go to the ministry of Jesus in Matthew 4, 17, and ask, okay, what was Jesus preaching? It's repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When you go to Acts chapter 2, when you ask yourself, what is Peter preaching? Repent and be baptized. How are we then to preach the good news of Jesus Christ without preaching repentance? How is it that we see repentance as a negative thing? Repentance is not describing what you need to do before you get to come to God. Repenting is describing what coming to God actually looks like. That's what repentance is. You are turning your old way of thinking, turning that off, you're turning to Christ. You're turning away from your old life to follow Christ. You are denying yourself, you're picking up your cross, and you're following Jesus Christ. Repentance is not something you do to earn God. It's something that it describes what it looks like to actually follow him. In that sense, there are no super Christians here. There's not like the super Christians that are really good at repenting and, and, and actually following Jesus. And then there are people who just kind of like Jesus, but they don't want to follow him. But Jesus clearly says, whoever wants to be my disciple needs to deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow me. There are no tears when it comes to this. There's no second-tier Christian that's a fan of Jesus, but not a follower, but still somehow a Christian. Being a Christian means following Jesus. In that sense, when we realize that repentance is not something we do before coming to God, but rather what describes us coming to God, it gives us hope. It shouldn't be a negative word. That you are now turning away from worshiping other things, from worshiping yourself, and you are worshiping the one true God and creator of the universe, where true life is found. And what does Peter say after that? Be baptized. The sign of repentance, dying to our old self, being buried with Christ in baptism, to rise up out of the waters, a new creation, living a life of continual repentance. But baptism without repentance is like a sign that has no substance. I think of a, think of a road sign that was on the road, but it would serve the function of not actually pointing you to where the road is at, but it would point you to drive off a cliff. Right? That road sign would not be a good road sign. Or think about someone who has a wedding ring but doesn't have a spouse. Yeah, there are signs pointing to something, but ultimately there's no substance behind the sign. So when you're baptized and without being repentant, 
you're, just, you're still just a wet sinner. <laughs> you're still just a wet sinner that needs to be saved by grace and you haven't repented and turned into the arms of Christ to run and get that grace. Yeah, baptism may be a sign, but if it doesn't point to repentance or is coupled with, with, with repentance, we don't have a true Christian. And so I'll ask you right now, as we think about this last point, of truth of God demanding action or response, I'm going to ask you to respond. Now first, I want to, I want to talk to you if you're, if you're not a Christian. I've noticed there are a few non-Christians on our Facebook page that post interesting memes during sermons or put the angry emoji uh, to, to our sermons. Man, I'm just glad that you're watching this. Uh, God bless you. Um, if you're not a Christian and you are watching this, I want to ask you the question, why have you not turned to Jesus Christ? What is keeping you from confessing your sinfulness to be covered by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf? Is it the cost of following Jesus? Because as, as I've said so many different times, and I, I hate to be the guy that always says the same thing, but... Is it the cost of following Jesus? Because the reality is that, yeah, it demands a lot of sacrifice. But ultimately, what you sacrifice is not good for you. And what you gain is the best. It's true life. You've never actually truly lived until you've had life in the fullness of Jesus Christ. And so I ask you, why haven't you denied yourself, picked up your cross, and followed Jesus? Because the reality is, too, if you're, if you're worried about costs... If you're worried about the cost of following Jesus, the cost of not following Jesus is much, much, much more greater. Because, yeah, you may be thinking, well, I want to live the life how I want to live the next 30, you know, 40 years of my life, whatever I got left. But the reality is that you will live on for eternity and you are sacrificing eternity because of temporary pleasures you are forfeiting eternal joy. Why haven't you run into the arms of Jesus Christ? He died for you. What's keeping you from living for him? To put your trust in him as your savior and your Lord and your master. And then for the Christians, when I see this platform of Peter and how he uses that to point to Jesus Christ, I, all, I always think of the platforms that every one of us have. And the reality is that every one of us have. You don't have to be, have a camera or a live stream on Facebook to think that you have a platform. Every single one of us has a platform. And I ask, how are we using that? Because you know, as you walk with Jesus Christ, and as people know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, questions are going to come. And I'm asking myself... Am I allowing God to prepare me for future sermons, for future questions that I might have? Am I taking the time to sit and just wonder about how God is working in me right now to prepare me for something that's coming later on? The reality is, one day you will be asked questions about your faith. Are you spending time in the Word to... Stand up like Peter one day and be able to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, teach. 
not because you had a prepared sermon or a prepared lesson, but rather because you realize that God's been working in you your entire life. And you've got a platform, even if it just doesn't look like a scenario where someone asks to sit down with you and ask you about your faith. If you're a preschool worker and you work with kids, that's a platform. They're looking up to you. They're seeing how you behave, what you say. Your coworkers are doing the same. Especially if someone knows that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, they're going to be asking themselves the question, well, does he or she look any different from anything else that I see in life? If you've got kids, that's a major platform. No one is going to influence the life of your kids as a mother or a father. And so are you using the platforms that God's blessed you with? Secondly, for the Christians, I'd like to ask, what are the platforms you have in your life to preach and to teach? Well, I kind of already covered that. So, <laughs> But I want to encourage us to respond to the sermons that are preached, right? My goal with every single sermon is, is I want to elevate Jesus Christ so that we hopefully know him more through his word. And just like any faith that we are called to action, that when we you know, walk out, that we wouldn't just walk out of here with bigger heads on our shoulders and know more about the Bible, but rather the impact of knowing God more would have such a profound effect on our life that we would adore him in such a way that when it comes to giving up our preferences or comes to laying down our lives to serve others, to reflect Jesus more, that cost wouldn't seem like much because we are enamored with the beauty of God. And so I pray, I pray for, man, the sermons that are preached here at this church, that they would be a call to action for the people, that we wouldn't just walk out more informed about a particular passage, but passionate about glorifying God with our lives, because he is indeed worthy of all glory and honor. And so as you go into this week, I want to encourage you, read this text Read about the amazing work of God. Think about how amazing he is. Think, think about his promise that's so beautiful. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Think about all of the ways you've messed up. Think about all the ways you're not impressive. Think about all the ways God is impressive. And just realize what a, what a great deal that is. At that God of the universe who knows exhaustively how messed up I am would say to someone like me, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And may that love demand action of us so that we would reflect Jesus. All right, let's pray. Uh, I'm going to ask Elliot if you would gather up the prayer requests that, that our people have been posting on uh, Lost of One Fellowship or on a comment on this video so that we can pray together. So let me pray real quick. God, I pray as we study your word, may we not just be more informed. May we walk into this week worshiping because of who you are and what you've done. May we walk into this week with boldness, realizing that he who is within us is greater than he who is within this world. That it doesn't really matter what opinions people have of us. It really only matters what opinion you have of us. So God, as we go into this week, may we boldly take action. 
May you transform us. May you inform our heads. May you protect and, and grow our hearts to love people like you love. May you equip our hands for the work of the ministry and may we respond to the good news of Jesus in such a way that we would glorify you with our time, with our resources, with the words that we speak and the actions we take. May we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, now let's pray together. Um, do, 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 do. Um, let's start with Max. Hey, Theta er Max. Please pray for my cousin's wife. Her name is Gabi. It is probable that she has breast cancer. On Monday, she will go into the doctors and she will know how serious it is. Please pray for her that the Lord will put his hand on her and heal her. She's my cousin. And their three young children are followers of Christ. Takfirir. Absolutely, Max. We'll join you in prayer. And of course, as I read these prayer requests, it's not just for us to pray here today, but keep this in mind as you go throughout the week if you need to write this down so that you can pray for this continuously and ask, you know, how, what's been happening. Logan and Carla, please be praying for the, uh, the Redeemer City Church core team meeting, which is happening tonight at 6 p.m., absolutely, and continue to pray for Redeemer City Church um, for f just the continued success of that church plan, and God would be glorified there. We're still looking for others joining our core team, so please also pray for others to join us as we seek to plant Redeemer City Church. Nonne and Ellen pray for the road trip. Me and Ellen are taking around Iceland. Wow, way to use prayer to show off, Nonne. Uh, just kidding. For a safe journey, we will join you in praying for that. Enjoy your trip. <laughs> David, can you guys pray for my friend's cousin's wife? Wow. Doctors? Yeah, okay, okay. That's the, the Max. He's, he's posting a prayer request for Max. And also, can we pray for my wife's grandmother that has terminal cancer all over his, her body? Uh, grandfather, sorry. He doesn't have much longer to live and that the Lord would draw him towards himself in this darkest time of need. Hildur, please pray for my relationship with my parents and extended family that I remember the Spirit makes me brave and bold in sharing the truth. Please pray for my family that they would respect our merits and give me uh, and give me and Elliot, by the grace of God, an opportunity to explain to them what our marriage is striving to represent. Christine, please pray for a little girl named uh, Lillian and her family. She's very sick and in a lot of pain. There's not much more the doctors can do for her. Wow. Absolutely. Apana, please be praying for me with decisions that I need to make and also for my boss who has a back and waist problem. And Bob Norton, please pray for my son Jack. He's incarcerated in Alabama. Um, yeah, let's, let's pray together over these different issues. So God, first I want to just pray for my brother Max. Uh, I miss Max a lot since he left. And so God, I thank you for my brother. Thank you for the time we had together here in Iceland. I thank you for how you've used uh, people in this church just to be missionaries in their daily lives. And I think about the story of Max and, and uh, how we've been able to see you at work in his life and use normal people working by the power of your spirit to, to be salt and light. And God, I pray um, for his uh, 
cousin's wife uh, that may have breast cancer. Her name is Gabby. I pray that you would just allow her to feel that you are with her as I'm sure she's dealing with a lot of anxiety and questions and wondering if this is bad or if this is good or what's going to happen. God, I pray that you be with her. I pray that she would turn to you for shelter as she is going through a time where probably no one else around her is going to fully understand all of the thoughts going through her head. I pray that she would turn to you and that she would find comfort in you. And God, I pray if this is, if this is serious cancer that you would just heal her that we may be able to celebrate your grace and mercy together upon her life. Uh, I pray for Logan and Carla as they take the first steps to plant Redeemer City Church. I pray for the core group meeting happening at 6 p.m. tonight, that we would have faithful people. Uh, as we look at scripture, when we see how our uh, brothers and sisters that came before us, how they responded to this message, how they uh, left their sometimes uh, family and, and, and hometowns to go out to preach the gospel to the nations, I thank you for Logan and Carla being willing to come over here and now taking the steps to plant a church here in Iceland. I pray that you be with them in their meeting tonight. I pray that you be with them continued throughout that you would lead them in every step that they take so that it would be successful. We remember that your word says that unless the Lord builds the house, the laborer, laborers labor in vain. So God, we ask that you build your church, Redeemer City Church. And for Nonne and Ellen, God, I pray for them as they get to enjoy this road trip around the island. I pray that this would be an amazing time for them in their marriage. I pray that they would just uh, grow in faith as well as we get to explore your beauty and realize just how magnificent you are as we are sometimes just faced with mountains that are of such magnitude that we can't even fathom someone who is not only as big as those mountains but the one who created them. So God, as they get to experience the beauty of us, then I pray that they would grow in, in adoration and worship of you as well. Um, I also want to pray for uh, Sirun's grandfather that is facing terminal cancer all over his body. God, I pray that you would be with him in this darkest hour of, of need. I pray that he would turn to you and seek hope and shelter in Jesus Christ. I pray that you use David and Sirun and their girls uh, to be salt and light. I pray that you would equip them to be ready for any questions that might come. I pray that they might point him to you and that he would confess Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Uh, God, I also just pray that you heal him and, and, and meet him in his pain. Um, so God, be with them, be with Sarun and David and their family and be with her grandfather. And Hildur, I pray for her relationship with her family. I pray that uh, she would be bold in sharing the truth and standing on the truth. I pray that the merits between her and Elliot would display in a new way the gospel that they have put their faith in, that it would reflect in their love for one another, uh, the love of your son towards his church. And I pray, God, you give them opportunity. And for Christine, I pray for this uh, little girl named Lillian, Lillian and her family. She's very sick and in a lot of pain. God, I just pray that you meet her, that you allow her to feel that you are with her. Um, I, for one, have so often experienced that when I'm in a lot of pain, 
uh, either emotionally or physically. I have really no one to turn to that understand what's going on other than you. So God, I pray that you would be with Lillian. She would experience you being with her. And God, I pray for healing for her. Heal Lillian so that she would get out of this pain and would glorify you and be able to worship you without worrying of the condition of her body or the pain that she's in. And I pray for Abana for the decisions in her life that are in front of her right now, that you give her wisdom to be faithful to you, that you would guide every single step that she takes, that you would uh, also uh, just heal her boss that's got the back or the waist problem. Um, be, with, be with her guide her every single step of the way that she would glorify you. And for lastly, I pray for Bob Norton and his son Jack, who is incarcerated in Alabama right now. I know Bob has been praying for him for years. And God, I pray for Jack that he would come to faith. And for all of us who have been joining Bob in years of praying for Jack, that we would celebrate as he confesses you to be Christ and Lord and surrenders his life. God, I pray with, uh, that you be with him there at, at, at the prison or jail. I pray that you would work in him there. Um, you are not limited to work inside of big cathedrals or nice-looking church buildings. Uh, we have seen you at work uh, in grocery stores, in daily life, and wherever people are, there you are at work. So God, I pray that you work in Jack. And I thank you for Bob, our brother, who is so often encouraged us with his love and his grace. I, I, th I thank you for Bob, and God, may we celebrate together as we see Jack confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Um, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you go into this week, be sure to thank God as well. Thank God for the fact that I think as of right now, there are six active cases in the entire country. They're going to update those numbers here in an hour. Uh, that's just amazing, especially remembering the days when they were added to the, the number of active cases, about 80 or 90 per day. Man, thank God for uh, the fact that we get to meet like this. Thank God for the fact that we get to meet here in a couple of weeks. Remember that, May 31st. And pray for our country. Pray for those who are losing their jobs, for businesses that are struggling right now, uh, for the politicians that are making really difficult decisions, for doctors and nurses, uh, for the health authorities trying to make wise decisions with things like the economy or travel and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of things to navigate right now. Please, as you go into this week, pray for our country and seek to be a witness for Jesus Christ. God bless you. God be with you. God glorify himself in you and through you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. Have an amazing Sunday.